Hello and welcome. This is Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy, and Daniel Hogan is in the studio. Today, our guest is Virginie Glanzer, and she is a fractional chief marketing officer at Web3. In just a moment, she's going to tell us all about what she does there and what that is exactly. I'm really excited to hear her story, and we'll be right back with Virginie. This is Hardstock. Thanks for listening. As I went walking that ribbon of highway, I saw the Listening to Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy, and Daniel Hogan is in the studio. Today, our guest is Virginie Glanzier, and she is a fractional chief marketing officer at Web3. Hi, Virginie. How are you? Hi, Carol. Very nice. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm really excited by our conversation. And you're speaking with us from New York City, is that right? That's correct. I hope you're having an absolutely beautiful fall there. And we've had one here in Montana, but we just got a fresh blanket of snow. We were talking about that a little earlier. I would imagine it, it will do its typical melt and re-snow and melt and re-snow and get some accumulation here soon. But what are you up to there in New York? Can you explain to our listeners what your organization does and your role in it? Sure. So I'm a fractional CMO at Acorn Oak, uh, which is a platform and community for executive women. And in my role as a fractional CMO, I join organizations usually between three to six months. And I spend one to two days per week uh, to really help them grow, uh, adapt and optimize their marketing strategies. And Acorn Oak, is that an organization that you helped found? I founded this uh, company about four years ago when I first uh, randomly went into consulting. (laughs) So let's start at the beginning and talk a little bit about your origins. You were mentioning earlier when we were talking about climate and weather that most of your family is in Paris. Is that where you're from originally? Absolutely, yes. I'm originally from France. I was born and raised in Paris, and I moved in 1998 to San Francisco Bay Area. That's where I founded a couple of tech startups. And of course, and I run those organizations for about 10 years. I had some successes and some failures. And being in Silicon Valley, of course, I worked most of my career in the tech world, um, helping companies grow and find market fit. And then about 10, you know, after 15 years, we got my husband and I a little tired of the blue sky all year round of California and people being politically correct. Although don't get me, I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. I wouldn't be who I am if it was not for California and the beautiful people over there. And what made you decide to move to New York? Well, as I mentioned, it was, uh, you know, we, I think we've, we've spent enough time to appreciate the technology world and being on the cutting edge, but it's a far uh, distance from France and we wanted something with more culture. We also had three daughters and we've heard about how the East Coast education 
uh, is a lot more competitive and we don't regret. So about 10 years ago, we moved to New York City and that's also why uh, I became VP of Marketing and CMO for larger organizations. So that was also a career transition or um, moving forward. Mm-hmm. And how about your life in Paris? Can you share that with us a little bit? You know, this kind of, I would imagine you have a, a very international kind of mindset. Can you help us understand how all of this has kind of played a role in founding Acorn? Yeah, well, you know, the, my life in Paris, so I worked for about 15 years in Paris, um, I started my career in sales, and I started a company over there. But unfortunately, back in 99, you know, you had to be uh, in a place where there were investors. France is a wonderful country full of history and such a beautiful place, but it's not the right place when you want to go on the cutting edge of things or just, you know, it's not a very, at the time, at least it was not a very progressive uh, area. We were looking for funding and we were, we were, you know, going into banks and there was no investors or private investors or venture capitalists. And so people were saying, well, why don't you come back when you're successful? Um, So that was, yeah. and. Although I think France is a very creative place where people will think out of the box because of their culture and, you know, a lot of, uh, I mean, I've studied philosophy and so we're really, we're kind of challenging the status quo from an intellectual standpoint. So as an example, if you ever managed a team in France, when the leader tells the team, okay, this is the plan, this is where we're going to go. Most people in the U.S. would, you know, of course, collaborate. But once the decision is made, everybody will go and it's going to be a really strong force. In France, it's the opposite. People start to question and say, well, what about this and what about that? And and it's really difficult and messy. And so there's really a culture shift when in meetings in France, uh, there are a lot of questions. There's a lot of debate, which for American or is very disruptive, but in France, that's how you build relationships. So all this, it's not so much nagging. It's really more a lot of deep discussion and that's part of the build, uh, relationship building. So that's, I'm, I'm glad to be in the US and I, I think after 25 years, I would consider myself a citizen of the world because I have those two culture and it's, it's an interesting mix. What kind of enterprise were you building uh, when you were seeking funds? I've always been in the software industry. So it was all around software. And I spent most of my career in technology uh, for software and SaaS software as a service. When I moved to New York, I went into larger organizations. I worked in the energy, in professional services. um, And I really enjoy the work tremendously. I mean, working for a large organization, helping a team perform, implementing disrupting technology, and then adapting to customer demand with multi-million dollar marketing budget. I loved it. However, I didn't play the corporate politics game well. I was not actually not aware that there was one because I was just too focused doing the work. And as a result, it happened once that I was asked to leave, which was very painful. So today being a fractional uh, CMO is a fantastic way to avoid any political corporate game and just focus on the work and on the team. And how about Acorn Oak? Tell us a little bit about the organization and what led you, what was the impetus for founding 
acorn oak. Yeah. Well, at the time, I just had my first consulting gig, not thinking that I was going to stay that long. So creating an LLC. And I was part of a co-working space of women. And a lot of women were talking about discrimination and age discrimination. And so, you know, one thing led to another, we got together and we decided to form a team. We were about 13 for a few years, although four to five people were really actively working and we were acting as a marketing agency working for clients. Most of us were uh, on 1099. And it's only about two years ago that we evolved, we shifted, and that's part of being a marketing agile team. It's, uh, you know, sensing the movement in the market and really adapting. So we uh, recently transformed into a marketplace for fractional executive women. There's really a strong need for more women in leadership role. You know, only less than 5% of women are executive on uh, at Fortune 500. And I think the world will benefit when there's a balance between men and women in leadership roles. So that's also the objective that what we're doing right now. What was it that you sensed in the market that made you kind of change things up a bit at Acorn Oak? Well, some of the transformation came from a personal deep you know, thinking and even existential crisis. As a marketer, when you look at the world around us, there's a lot of problem that marketers are responsible for selling stuff to people that they don't need, for using human weaknesses in a way that makes you crave something, again, that you fundamentally don't need. So that's one area where I really peel the onion and, and ask myself, well, if marketing is no longer the growth engine of organization because sustainable growth is unrealistic, what's the purpose? So I actually wrote a book called The Leadership Singularity with three other co-authors. We came together because we were looking for what's the alternative? How do we continue to do a, a, a job and uh, that we love without in a place where we feel that we're helping the world and not the opposite? Uh, so that's one. And then Web3, and that's the conversation I'm really excited to have with you. This also opened up a number of uh, opportunity and challenges, but that also triggered our desire to adapt. And in Web3, which is powered by technology, but changes the way we hire people. There, you know, post-COVID, there's a clear sign, and we've we've experienced it, all of us, that working from home and having people being not only remote but also on a fractional basis is enough to build sustainable organization and have businesses thrive. So fractional work is becoming more and more accepted and important in organization adaptation to the market. Yes, and I really want to kind of dig into that further. But before we do, you <laughs> touched upon this issue, which is kind of a, even in my own psyche and other organizations is a, a recurring question. Marketing, sales, convincing people to buy more, always growing, this kind of unsustainable model that has driven us, as one guest put it, it's been a race to the bottom, just looking at how we're impacting our environment and the planet and the longevity of our species is questionable <laughs> because, Absolutely. because of all of this. So 
help us understand and kind of connect with this solution in your own mind of how do we change things up to be more sustainable from a sales and a marketing standpoint? Are there like key pillars of a sustainable approach? Oh, that's that's a really difficult question to answer because every business is, is different, but also it, it could be an hour-long conversation. There's Indeed. different ways, right? There's different filter and different way to tackle what does sustainability means uh, for a business, uh, whether it's a public company who's being measured through the growth of their revenue year after year versus a private company that has a, a, an impact in people's lives and maybe communities. And and so the question that you ask is very difficult. We can certainly talk about how Web3, what are the current opportunities and challenges and what it means for organization. But to me, a business that thrive should be defined differently than the way we used to define a thrivable business. In the past, the criteria is how much money are you generating? What's your profit? What's your margin? You know, how big of the market are you able to acquire? It's all about attacking the market. It's about uh, taking as much as you need without looking at how much do you consume? You know, what are the resources you need in order to actually implement that revenue? And what is the impact on local communities? What I'm interested in is how do we go into a new economy with a new set of values, a new set of criteria? And it's it's going to take a while for people to look at the stock market, to look at organization and to think differently because, of course, we're like fish in a ball. You know, we have to get outside. In order for us to see the water, we have to take the fish in and put it into a, another ball, which is not easy. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's not an easy question. We're going to take our midway point break here and we'll be right back and really dig into what is Web3 and what is a fractional Chief Marketing Officer. We shall be right back. This is Heartstock. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. This is Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. And today we're speaking with Virginie Glasner. And she's been sharing with us a bit of a change that she had in, in mindset around marketing and sustainability. Virginie, help us understand at um, Acorn Oak, what is Web3 exactly? <laughs> is this mm-hmm. a, it's a software program, I take it? 
Not at all. So not at all. So no. Equinox is a marketing agency organized as a community and a marketplace. So we have uh, a number of members who are fractional executive. I'm a marketer, so I'm a chief marketing officer. And the work that I do is I go into organization and spend one to two days per week uh, to help them optimize whatever they've built, adapt to the new market landscape, some of the disruptive technology like Web3. So Web3 is what we call the next wave of the internet, you know, the World Wide Web. That's the next wave of in innovation, and it's powered by blockchain. If you go back in time, the internet actually evolved from Web1 in the mid-90s. Some of uh, your listeners might remember as I do, this read-only pages, you know, think of Yahoo. Web 2 around 2005 came about because of social platform and all the dynamic content. So we had Facebook and the blogs. Today, Web 3 is about access to ownership because it embeds new ways to distribute and exchange values. And that's powered by blockchain. So as a fractional CMO, I'm passionate about Web 3 because I see so many opportunities for businesses and individuals. The Acorn Oak company has a number of different fractional executive women, whether they're fractional CEO, COO, or you know, CMO, CTO, and we're just getting started uh, at that point. And I'm happy to share a little bit more about why Web3 is so fascinating, yes, if you'd like. Yes, but before we do that, can you just explain for our listeners the difference between a fractional chief marketing officer and just your a standard chief marketing officer in an organization? Sure. So basically the main difference is fractional uh, officers come on a in, in a fraction of their time. It's a little bit like consultant that we, you would have hired in the past, but the big difference is as a consultant is usually stays as a very high level, will produce, you know, rep report and strategy, strategy that the team will take and implement. A fractional executive, at least in my eyes and based on the work that I do, is not only doing strategies, so high level, looking at the marketplace, the competitive landscape, and really coming up with very creative idea to reposition the company or adapt the, the company into those that market or help a company launch, but it also is someone who will implement the the, the strategy with the team, whether these are full-time employees or consultants. So spending one to two days a week me means that I'm, I'm also paid a fraction of what a company would pay for a full-time executive. And a lot of companies do not need a full-time CMO or full-time CEO. The other good aspect of having a fractional means that this is not someone who's playing the corporate game. Their interest is not to be a full-time. So, you know, being on a part-time basis means that you have to produce a lot. And I find it very rewarding, not only for the individual, but also for the company. Yes. And let's dive into Web3. What in your mind is so exciting about this? Yeah. So not only Web3 is the next wave of innovation of the World Wide Web, it's just the next phase of evolution. That's why everybody should be aware of the various elements that it's being built on. And blockchain is this main technology that removes the need of an intermediary. 
But in the last four years, the Web3 ecosystem has seen exponential growth and the introduction of new concepts such as DeFi, decentralized finance, smart contract software, and DAOs, decentralized autonomous organization. But the reason why I find Web3 so appealing is that it also coincides with some profound changes that we're seeing in our society. I mean, just look at the way we work. We are really emerging from an industrial era where people have become machines. You know, when you look at how we spend our days sitting at a, at a desk, it, we've built life with efficiency driving all our choices and our lifestyle. And I strongly feel that there's a craving for a new way to work, a new way to interact. And for me personally, Web3 as a fractional CMO means co-creation and co-ownership at its best. I hope it was clear. Yes. And as somebody focused on marketing within an organization, can you give us practical examples of how Web3 can enhance our experiences as workers, as productive folks? Yeah. So as a marketer, I'm thinking of Web3 in the community sense. So because the market has become extremely noisy and abundant, and we can talk about the economy, the economy of abundance, which is one of the effects of Web3. There's so much choices that the old way of going into market, the old playbook that we've been given by, you know, Silicon Valley and the top-notch business school is no longer applicable if you don't have a million-dollar budget. And even in that case, there's a number of issues that comes into play, uh, like the lack of trust and uh, the <clears throat> really low attention span of consumers. But community is one of the opportunities. You can build an organization with a community in the DNA of the organization. That's the new way to launch product. And we can see it with, you know, small brands that starts to pop up on TikTok or on social media. And these brands are tapping into the desires of consumers. So the table have turned where the consumer becomes the one who holds all the power. I'm now the one choosing with who, you know, which product do I want fit with my own lifestyle, with my own values. So community is a big aspect of Web3. Another one as a marketer would be business models, the way, you know, the type of relationship we build. And today, most of the relationship that we've built with brand are transactional. I buy something and I get something in return. What if we had the ability to, to transform this transactional relationship into relation relationship by giving customers a piece of the company and i'm not talking about being able to buy stock from public company which in a way gives me a sense of ownership because i own a stock of this company and so i'm a little bit more invested than if i didn't own anything but in the web3 you have the ability to use token and cryptocurrency to create new uh, ways of rewarding individuals based on their behavior and you can have a, a different type of relationship with them and instead of them just cons consuming the product and then leaving because it no longer fits if you give them a little bit of decision uh, power and involve them through the community in the way that the company evolves and grows, 
you'll create a very loyal base of customer, very engaged in the long-term benefit. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. And I'm also wondering if you can talk a little bit about, which you had mentioned before, economy of abundance. You know, when I think of that, it's like scarcity as opposed, you know, my mindset and my actions are driven by there's just not enough as opposed to there's more than enough. Is this what you're speaking of or is it a little bit different than that? Well, uh, in part, absolutely. So the economy of abundance is a mind-blowing and really life-changing worldview and experience, and it has two sides. So the first one that we just talked a little bit about was the side that most people understand, which is pretty obvious, and it's the market. The economy of abundance is found in the marketplace. And interestingly, today's economy is not just a recession with disrupted supply chains or inflation, it's the end of an era. So we're finding ourselves at the emergence of this intelligent distributed organization. Um, so technology and social media have powered abundance to appear. We have, as we mentioned, an abundance of information, idea, access to people, product, you know, go on Amazon and look for any product, you'll be, you'll have a hundred of options. And so that market abundance requires businesses to shift their market strategy. The other side of the economy of abundance, which relates to our lifestyle and personal worldview, is a little bit more tricky to understand. And the first thing to do is to redefine the meaning of the word abundance, because the word abundance for most people means having more what you need. But to me, abundance means having enough. There is enough on this planet for everyone. And to explore this idea even closer and gain this new understanding, we have to start by asking ourselves, how much is enough? It's a very personal question. How much money do I need to sleep well at night? How much stuff, clothes, and even space do I need for myself and my loved ones, right? How much food? And when you open that door of living in abundance, you're facing a radical new worldview because that second step is that you understand that we've been conditioned to see the world as a scarce place. Scarcity has been created and manufactured by greed. You know, look at an airline seat. will have two different prices because demand is different. So we... We're told that the market is all about demand and that drives price and that drives uh, businesses. And I think it's all wrong. Uh, the, our belief in scarcity creates a fear of lacking and that causes people to become hoarder, you know, whether it's toilet paper or money or power. So that's really a very individual questions that we need to ask ourselves and I'm co-writing a book on the economy of abundance, and we're going to be hosting a workshop so that we can understand what does that mean on a daily basis the moment I wake up? What does that mean to live in a world of abundance? Mm -hmm. Yes, and we have only about a minute left. Maybe you can talk to us a little bit more about the future. You mentioned a book. Um, anything else exciting coming up? And then how might folks find you? Sure. Um, yes. So I'm right now consume or I, I would say passionate about uh, the REAP community that I'm building with other individuals. Uh, it's a Web3 community to empower entrepreneurs with fractional advisors. And then the book, The Economy of Abundance, which will hold, host a workshop um, 
as a way to even practice what it means to live in abundance. Um, and I also published recently a fiction novel uh, that got really good reviews, and it tells the story of an executive in the 90s living in San Francisco, a little back in time with a character going to a lot of moment of truth in his life. Uh, to answer your question, people can find me at aconoak.net and otherwise version it on LinkedIn uh, and on Twitter, which I uh, enjoy using to meet other people. Mm. And thank you so much, Virginie, for being on Heartstock and the work that you're doing. This is this is revolutionary, and definitely I can relate to exactly what you're talking about. We can all see it, right? I mean, things are definitely changing, and steering the boat, so to speak, in the right direction is uh, very uh, encouraging. Um, thank you so much. Thank you, Carol, for having me on your show. Mm-hmm. And this is Heartstock, as usual. We will be back next week. Until then, peace. And on the sign it no trespassing. Heartstock Radio is a production of KBMF 102.5 Butte America Radio. Hear our programs every Friday at 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time via live stream at butteamericaradio.org. Hear me, it's